is Amanda. And this is Chris. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hello, everyone. This is Amanda, and I'm here with Chris, as always. Hello. And we have a different kind of guest today. She's not a singer, but we have Kristen Dennehy, and she is a choreographer, and she has done work all over the entertainment industry, but also you might know her for her work on the sing-off and with several pretty high-profile acapella groups. Kristen, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you, ladies? Good. Living the dream. (laughs) Thanks for having me. One year in lockdown, like exactly. (laughs) We did our last live performance performance today. That was it. Our last unmasked out in a school performance one year ago today. Wow. Yeah. It's hard. Three days before this Friday of the lockdown, I actually went to the airport. I went to LAX. I was working with Len and Stella and we were flying up to Canada to do the Juno Awards. I check in, luggage getting on the plane. I'm sitting in the lounge and then I get a text from management that says, don't go on the plane. They just canceled Juno Awards. And I was like, oh, this is real. Wow. Yeah. It's intense. It was a busy week last year. Oh boy. Let's think back to those before times. And let's talk a little bit about how you got started in dance. And then we'll kind of transition into how that transitioned into a relationship with acapella. And it's funny because in the acapella masterclass that I taught, my intro video spoke about a lot of my history. And it wasn't necessarily the, the same route that a lot of my peers and contemporaries have taken. I did start with some ballet and some jazz, but then I was pretty much self taught because as I got into ballet, I loved it a lot. And then all of a sudden I got burnt out from it. And then I wanted to, as I transitioned into high school, I wanted to be more involved in school activities. And so I was in sports, which I think later helped me with working different muscles towards my career. And then I also fell in love with hip hop. Then I started like going to under 21 nightclubs. My mom would drop me off and I would just dance my heart away and challenge whoever I thought was, or actually learn from whoever I thought were the best dancers in the room. And that's where I kind of honed a lot of my skills as well. I miss those. I had so much fun at those clubs. Do they have them anymore? I don't I feel like I missed out because I'm from Indiana. There were only like country versions of those guys. That was it. There were like the line dancing bars. That was it. But you guys, I'm I'm all ears. I don't know if they have them anymore, but that's too bad if they don't. But then again, I'm not that age, so I would not know. And back to ballet, I just was out at point shoes. My feet are too big. I was like, I can't do this. So I think you made the right decision. But I I love ballet and I the people who can do it. But for me, it would have just been torture. I was deep into it. Like I loved it so much. And I would actually in my Walkman, like when we were driving on trips with my family, I'd be blasting Tchaikovsky and just rocking out. <laughs> like I loved it so much. But then, yeah, I, I started older and then I was doubling up how much I was doing in classes because I wanted to catch up and I just got burnt out from it. So c'est la vie. And then I found my love of hip hop, which is it's what really sparked my passion. And so fell in love with hip hop and I did end up going to Fordham University in New York City. And so I joined the dance team there, started exploring choreography. I started choreographing for the team. And then I started heading into Manhattan because I was on the Bronx campus and auditioned for the Knicks. Didn't make it the first year. So worked my butt off and kept practicing for things that I knew I needed to build up in my tools. And then I made it the second year. And then I also started working with MTV and things, you know, just started growing from there. So it was a really fun beginning. This was an exciting time as well in New York and in the MTV world. This is not like what we know right now is MTV. <laughs> like MTV was way cooler and way more just on the front edge of everything. I mean, they were on the front edge of video, front edge of music. So that's incredible. Watching your reel 
really. And I, I just watched the 2019 reel that you had on your website. Took me down to so many memories of just uh-huh. this past couple years. But I'm thinking back to when you would, be, would have been in New York. Like, what do you think was your most, what like really kicked it off for you after that being with the Nick? What springboard did you forward in your career right then? That had um, to be huge. Well, I met Tina Landon, who was Janet Jackson's choreographer at the time. She came in to guest host one of the MTV episodes and I literally was completely starstruck. <laughs> and then she also was teaching one of the workout videos because the grind had all those workout videos that came from that as well. So luckily I was a part of that and she was co-hosting one of those as well. And so I became close with her and she had an agent out in Los Angeles who was then actually starting a chapter or a, an office in New York. And so I met with that person and they said for what I wanted to do, because it, it wasn't Broadway, it was none of that. I wanted to dance for the biggest and the best. And so she said, okay, you got to move to Los Angeles. And so that was all I needed to hear because that's what I wanted to do. So within like six months to a year is when I made it out there on a one-way ticket. One-way tickets and- are the way to every time I hear people that made it. When you buy that one-way ticket, it's okay, I've cut the safety net. I'm going. I had 150 bucks in my pocket, <laughs> a couple of gigs that were from New York that I was hoping would get me by. And some of those worked out, some of those fell through. So then there was one day where I wouldn't let myself come home until I booked three different jobs. So I was like delivering telephone books. That's not a thing anymore. And then hostessing at one place, teaching a hip hop aerobics at another place. So I had enough income as I was trying to quote unquote, make it as a professional dancer. Yeah. Oh, the telephone book. And now we can't find anyone online with a regular phone number. Like it's (laughs) only if you have a scamming phone number, can we find you? (laughs) So let's, I mean, we could name drop here forever. And I love name dropping you. We advertise for your class for Aquaville. But fast forward through this illustrious career and then you somehow got yourself all mixed up with acapella. As we all do. (laughs) Right? It's like, Pandora's box was open into this brand new world. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I was set up for a meeting with the producers of the sing-off because from season one to season two, they were making some changes in the production staff. So they were looking for a choreographer. So yeah, I went through quite a few different interviews with different producers and the main executive producer and all that to make sure that I was vetted as somebody that they wanted to work with and had the experience and had the right ideas and attitude. And then I became a part of it from season two all the way until the last one, which was that special, technically season five, but it was that one special season. I know it was so bittersweet. (laughs) We're like, really? We want more? You ended up having to work with, I mean, some acapella singers have some dance background, but Mm -hmm. more often than not, acapella singers are completely awkward on stage and we will own that. Doesn't matter what genre, like that's why when someone comes out and they really know how to be on stage, it's like, whoa, look at them. So, and you were working on a compressed time So you're trying to work with these people that probably have very little experience on a big stage, experience moving with any sort of confidence. What was that like? It was intense. Any of those competition shows are extremely intense because there's so much to get done in such a small amount of time. So with the first two episodes, we would start maybe two weeks in advance, just so they'd fly all the groups out there. We'd all get to know each other and we'd work and get those first two episodes up and running in the best form that we could. So my team and I, and because we had so many numbers and honestly... I think I remember counting just season three alone, we had maybe 111 or 117 numbers we staged. Yeah. And people forget that there were people behind the scenes that had to work on all of those numbers and the groups, you know, groups had to do one, two, maybe three songs a week. And then oh, yeah. you and your team had to do the whole show. Yeah. And there luckily was another team of choreographers who only handled the opening number because honestly, that was a whole nother beast in <laughs> itself. They would work in the evenings on a few days and then we worked during the days, but we were juggling with the music department who were arranging, helping arrange. Some groups really had a good flow of arranging. and But then again, as the weeks went on and people got tired and we just needed to turn out great stuff every week, the music department 
department really was great with either doing it for them or being hands-on and directing them. They were incredible. So working with the groups, my team and I, we sat down in the beginning when we saw their audition tapes and we would as quickly as we could find what made them special and what made them them. And then use that to make them them because we never want to make them anyone else than who they are and to really support the music and make the music make sense with the movement. We never wanted to give them movement for the sake of it. We wanted to make sure that there was a reason for it and that we were matching their ability at the time. And again, as each week went on, people were quickly growing. The learning curve was so steep, yet it happened so quickly at the same time. So it was great because we saw what was their potential and we would quickly pull it out of them each week. Correct me if I'm wrong. You worked with Street Quarter Symphony and I think that's a perfect example of a group that you didn't take them and try to make them into something that they weren't. They are more still and they're more deliberate with what they do, but it's perfect for them. But you were able to bring out something in them that kind of made them shine and sparkle. They weren't just some guys standing on a stage. You brought out in their music some movement. And I've, I've always loved their journey. I loved watching them grow as performers. Specifically, they were always really good singers and their arrangements were phenomenal, but their performing ability really stood out to me at the end. I want to Yeah, like towards the end, they started to really have yeah. fun. And again, there was a ton of trial and error. And when I go into a room with a new group of people, I say, hey, I'm not always right. And I'm going to give you some crap sometimes. And I'll be the one probably <laughs> to admit it first, you know? So it's kind of like throwing everything against the wall that we think might work. And then what sticks is what should stick. And then once in a while, I'll challenge you to do something you never thought should stick. But it's like that fine line, again, just trial and error. And the first episode of Street Corner Symphony, I think it was Everyone Wants to Rule the World was their first yeah, song. I think so. And just getting the guys to walk downstage on the same foot at the same time <laughs> was like, quite, a feat, quite a feat. <laughs> and then, yeah, and even in that episode, we were trying new things with them, wanting to still keep them more of a rock band. But there were some things we tried, but then also sometimes the executive producers or the whole production team was just like, yeah, that feels a little bit too much like you guys are trying to make them do that. And we're like, okay, that's fair. And so there were lots of different people. And, and then NBC would have their input on different various performances as well. So there were so many people looking at it from different areas and bringing their expertise to make each and every group shine. I keep thinking about as a choreographer, just in general, having to take all of these people, not just the people who are controlling the production and actually have guidelines there. You have like minimum four performers on the sing-off. I mean, but if we're looking even outside of that, you are dealing with so much input and so many personalities and being able to look at a group and be able to still make this cohesive package, even though you have 12 different people in your group who are like, well, I don't look at it that way. I find choreography to be this beautiful tie between music and story and notes and expression that only choreographers can do. Only people who really understand how movement adds to the music. And I would love to hear when you really are taking a piece of music and, and you've got like multiple different people looking at it from different viewpoints, how do you get them all working on the same page? That's a good question. Sometimes I will go in and actually take a new piece of music and say, all right, let's sit down and let's talk about this. What is your intention for this piece? So we all need to be on the same page because not everyone's singing the lead words that may actually mean what they're saying. Some people are ooing and eyeing, some people are umming and doing VP. So they don't get to connect in that same way. But if we mindfully put it out there, this is what our intention is for this performance. And then we talk 
talk about it and get on the same page, then it makes it easier. And then again, you know, like I will always let them know, I'll put things out there for you guys. We'll try this. And you tell me if it feels like crap, you're going to perform it and you're not going to feel good. It's not going to look good. You won't sound good. So I never want to make you do something you're not comfortable with. So really building that trust with the group is extremely important so that we can trust each other to have each other's backs to then have that end result in mind. I keep hearing you say, just push yourselves just to that edge, find where you're uncomfortable so you can back it up a bit. We always try to determine what's uncomfortable before Mm -hmm. we've actually experienced it being uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. we're always like, no, that's uncomfortable. It's like, well, have you tried it? It might not be so uncomfortable. I like that. And in a way too, like going back to sing off, we didn't have the time to not do it. It was kind of like sink or swim. And this is the one hour I have with you guys. So this is what we're going to try. And I will help you quickly tell you, yeah, no, we'll try it two times. And if it's not working, move on. Cause we don't have weeks to make muscle memory out of it. We have to make sure that whatever we give them, whoever we gave it to, it pretty quickly stuck and made sense so that they could remember their lyrics and do all these things in amount of hours, really. I mean, it's stressful, but I think there's an advantage to that because I think we see a lot of acapella groups just overthink it and then over rehearse it. And then it is rote and boring and robotic. Yeah, you've like rehearsed the 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 light out of it. Yeah, it's like it's now it's not fun anymore. You can definitely over rehearse something. And there were a couple groups who we actually said that to. We're like, you guys are in the sweet spot. Don't rehearse it anymore. Don't touch it. You know, and then some of them listened, some of them didn't and they learned their lessons, <laughs> you know, but that's all part of being artists and growing. And that's something that you can't learn until you do it. Right. So that's one of those experiences. And that's the next things. challenge for any performer is once you do it and you get it perfected, how do you keep making it new each time? How do you find that bark again? That's just a whole new challenge. <laughs> Which, yeah. you know, brings me to right now, they're doing it virtually, but is the ICCA and ICHSA competition. And if it were normal times, this is when all the barbershop groups would be gearing up for their competitions. So as we're about to watch, I mean, they're doing music videos this year, but I've judged ICCA and ICHSA for a long time now. And we see all of these groups, one group will come up with something brilliant. And then we see the next year, 100 groups trying to imitate what that group is. And there is some benefit to that. But what would you say to these groups that are looking at the group that won and they want to be that group? Mm, That's a great question. There's like, what is the word? It's like imitation is the best. What is it? The best um, form of flattery. flattery. So there's something to like, look at what somebody or another group has done and take the essence of what was great about it. Yeah, it's just a hard thing. It's like, just, I guess, sitting down as a group and whether it's the, the director or whoever it is, is just make sure that they try and keep the essence of that group. Like what makes you guys special? Because you're not less special than the next group. They just found something that worked great for them. So try some of those elements, but yeah, make sure you work to find your own unique thing that no one else can have. Because that's something that I love about working with anyone from a dancer to a singer to an actor. There's always something that someone does that only they can do and no one can replicate it. I can't even replicate it. I can only say, yes, do that. Do that again. (laughs) It is a challenge and you want to be inspired by greatness and what you think is an outstanding group. And yet always remember to try and find you that authenticity that can only be you. Yeah. But it's challenging. It's definitely challenging. It is. I love that you come at this from the dancer's perspective, from a movement perspective, because so many of us don't. Having worked on tours, on large stages, and choreographing and dancing for these shows, these really large stadium shows, is there something that we can take away from that as singers that is kind of lacking? Oh, 
Well, if I may pose a question back to you, what made you think of that? What do you think you guys are lacking? Well, I think we always talk about that fourth wall, but there's also talking about like larger than life. Mm -hmm. How do you get from being able to sell the message, which is very Broadway or fourth wall? How do you get that message and make it larger than life? Because I think that's where some acapella groups want to go or see themselves, but they're just like, what is that? What are we missing from a performance. Is that, am I close, Amanda? Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking I go to these concerts and it's an experience. And I think the movement is a big part of that. And Mm -hmm. I think we try to replicate that, especially the collegiate or the larger groups try to replicate that big feeling, the so many different senses and oftentimes just miss the mark. Mm. From being on those stages or being with people that I've worked with, some things that I would have the imagination in rehearsal of, I sometimes do this when I teach dance private or things like that, I sometimes choreograph, okay, imagine that you're in front of 50,000 people right now and the person way, way, way in the back has to see you. And so you have to emote your body. You can't be small. You need to be larger than life physically so that you read on stage. Sometimes that's where I feel social media works a certain muscle because you are on a small camera frame and you can do small things that feel really real. But then that doesn't translate to the large stage because it's just completely different. People way, way, way in the back of the stadium can't see that. Another thing that Chris, you brought up as well was talking about like doing something again and again. And how do you replicate that every night? One thing when I was on tour, dancing with Backstreet Boys, there was one song in particular. Oh my gosh. (laughs) my heart. (laughs) There was a song they had called Show Me the Meaning. And it's a beautiful ballad, but we did it again and again and again and again for months and months and months. And when you're in song number 10 of 18 that we danced or whatever, you wanted to breathe some new life into it. So I would trick my brain. I would be like, who do I want to dance it for? tonight. I would dance it for someone in my family who's passed away and try and bring that kind of emotion there or dance for this or for that. And so sometimes even though you're with a group and you want to have that collective inspiration and intention, you also need to do that for yourself to keep you present. A lot of times I would work with groups and you could see when they turn into autopilot and when they're kind of there, but they're not engaged and they're not present. And we all do that. The best of the best can do that as well. And another thing that I learned dancing for in sync. Stop. I probably was at both of those things. I mean, I saw Backstreet Boys at least twice or once and in sync the other one. And I mean, I was in Indianapolis at those Millennium Tour. You saw that. I did, girl. Oh, man. And no strings attached. I was at that tour. Awesome. I was at Black and Blue. I mean, yes. Oh, those were some of the most influential concert experiences of my life. And I went back and saw the Backstreet Boys at their DNA tour, too. And like, it just brought everything back. They still remember that choreography. That's grained in there. I can't believe I mean, you guys are amazing. The performers in those shows really did completely transform Backstreet Boys for me because, you know, you can listen to them on the radio, but wow, you bring out your the troop of dancers that supported them and it changes everything. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. One of the things that Justin would do as somebody who was at the height of the height, but he was still working to become a better performer is they would watch their concert back on the tour bus driving to the next city. And they would say, where can I engage with the audience more? Where can I focus and, and connect? And these are people that you would think, oh, got this, don't need to practice. But the greats are the people who are always learning, always. so nice to hear. Isn't it just nice to hear? It's so nice to hear, right? It just makes me feel good that I'm not the only one that has to suffer through watching my own videos back. No, we all 
all do. And I don't, I don't like watching it either, but you learn a lot and it's extremely helpful. And that's one of the first things I said in my acapella masterclass is film yourself because you want to get a baseline and you want to just be real with yourself of where you are and not to be negative, but it's, there's things you're going to find that you didn't realize you did that are fantastic. And then you find things that you want to work that muscle on to make stronger, but there's never, you need to be aware of what you're doing in order to become a better performer. Oh my gosh. Videotaping painful. Yes. But like I noticed all of my little, I would sway a little bit. I know in college hand, I would rock claw, back and forth. The weird hand claw. I do this weird hand claw when oh, I'm standing there. Everybody like a, has hand things. Like I'm like a talent. last singer. So you are not alone at all. Everyone does that. I should play a witch. If I could get cast as a witch, I would be <laughs> fine because then it would just be like part of the character. But since the show and working for acapella on TV, but then transforming it to a, a live stage, you've been you've worked with Home Free quite a bit and they just seem so natural. It doesn't feel like they're doing a lot, but I know just how much went into making it look like they're not doing a lot. And that's what's actually been so fun is like we call it like the mosey, like they've really gotten it down. And I love how casual and relaxed they look. Yeah. So it's really fun. And it, I feel like it really makes them them. Yeah. And it's just me taking a look at the set list and again, seeing what the music tells me to do, but then also finding a way to create an arc in the show as well. So it's like, okay, you don't want to have every song sitting down. You don't want every song sitting up. What does the music first tell you to do? And then within that set, what is the best option for those songs? And then I also really love working out in my mind, you know, because music acapella has this person singing and then all of a sudden this person pops out and then all of a sudden this you hear. And so I always want to find a way to magically make it appear visually so that you hear it better. But the arrangers love you for that. It's definitely a muscle that I'd love to learn how to work because it's so much fun when it does work out and you're like, yes, I can see that person and it worked out perfectly. But my team and I, we would like agonize forever because we were like, we just want this person to be here and how are we going to get them there? And it was really funny. Yeah. So then, yeah, just during the show, I kind of like see what the music does and then also find a way to support that visually throughout the set as well. And then I've been having fun with Home Free as well because they've been allowing me to take more action as to lighting as well. So now I'm also helping create that with them. So that's a lot of fun for me to work this new muscle to support all of that stuff on stage. I'm remembering that you also worked on the tour Acapella Live. So that was you were working with some groups that you worked with before, but they were also so different. So you had the Philharmonic, who is kind of like an upbeat, dancey kind of group. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you're working with Women of the World who, for the most part, stand still. But I noticed that they they didn't just stand still on this tour. So what was that experience like? That was so much fun because those women are so incredibly talented and all these different cultures that they bring together and just like perfectly mix it all up and serve this incredible show. And they were very open-minded and wanting to add some more to their show. So it was actually one of the easiest flowing rehearsals because they were like, yeah, let's try this. Let's do this. And so some of it I had planned out, some of it we workshopped on the spot and yeah, it was like so much fun to work with them. I love those ladies. And I mean, I think there's a lot to be said about that show for anyone that didn't get to see it because the tour actually got cut a little short by all of this nonsense. But you had Blake Lewis, you had Women of the World, you had Philharmonic and you had Committed. And the four of those acts are so different. And yet when you saw the show, there was continuity to it. Was that something that you had to think about to make sure that it wasn't just disjointed? And also they had to sing together for a bunch of the numbers too. That's what I love too, is because they really 
really shared the stage with each other well. And I love acapella for the supportive environment that it just naturally is. That's one thing that made me fall in love with it as well. It, to me, acapella music is just pure joy. It's so honest and joyful. Yeah, it's just one of the best things ever. <laughs> That's why I'm so in love with it. and love working in this area of the industry. But it, it was pretty easy. And then, of course, I had the honor of working with Deke Sharon again, you know, who I've worked with through Sing Off and some other projects since then. And so he is one of the grandfathers of modern day acapella. So <laughs> if you're going to have anybody hold your hand through the process, it's great to have Deke be the one that's saying, okay, here's yeah. how it works. And so he already had a great idea of, he was working with the groups to craft their sets in a way that flowed nicely. So it was not just me at all. It was like everybody collectively coming up with a way that it made sense and it flowed nicely. And, and we got to support each other and have other members sing in other songs of, of the other group. So it was really fun to collaborate. Really cool. So yeah, it was really, it turned out great. We were really happy with it. I hope those kind of shows come back because they were a lot of what people needed to I see in will. acapella because I really do. oftentimes barbershoppers just go to barbershop shows. Mm. Fans of Women of the World, that kind of music, just go to those shows. Committed, they have that soul, Southern gospel. They have those fans, but they would right. never think to go to a Women of the World show. So I thought the concept of that was really cool. And the sing-off did a lot of that too. But before we run out of time, I do want to mention, we've brought it up a few times that you just released a course on acapella masterclass. So I want to talk a little bit about what went into that class. I had the honor of editing it, so I could I could answer it, but I'd rather hear it from <laughs> your perspective of where that class goes and what people can get out of it. Oh, and can I tell you something really funny in a good way about that? This was about last year, maybe in April. And all of us were in lockdown, right? We were all sitting at home, living in this new, what we did not think was going to be a normal. And I remember taking some classes online and, you know, just like I thought, it, honestly, maybe you guys did too, but I really naively thought, okay, two weeks, cool. We're going to be good. No, we're going to, this is going to be a respite. Ooh, a free vacation. <laughs> right. Okay. So Dig I took it. some classes Dig and I taught one dance class. And then I was just like, you know what? That's not really what I want to offer up and be of service for. And I started thinking in my head, I would really love to teach a class for singing. This would be so cool. And I really started writing notes in my phone. And then literally within about 24 to 48 hours, Deke emailed me and he's like, hey, there's this project. Do you want to be a part of this? And I was like, are you kidding me? Manifestation. So I was really excited to get that email. And so, of course, I was like, oh, of course, I would love to be a part of this. And speaking with you and Mark, Amanda, the idea of a curriculum and not having just one class, but actually a whole series of classes to take people through something sounded really great. And I had so much fun crafting that. So it's kind of just everything I've been learning and, and teaching people, I just transition that onto video for everyone. It's really cool. I mean, you know, I've been a professional performer now for over a decade. And I love editing these classes because I'm like, oh, oh, I could use that. Oh, I never thought about it that way before. So I mean, and watching it when I walked away from it, and I thought about who this could most help. Honestly, I think most people in the acapella world could benefit from learning the concepts because it's not just like you teaching a dance routine. It is you teaching the core, the root of what will make you what will make your later routines and choreography better and make people look more authentic, which is, I mean, as a judge, please give that me more authentic. Number. I come from the barbershop world and authenticity right now is all we're actually just asking mm. for. Whatever you think is authentic, show it to us and we can have a conversation about that. And I feel like that's more of the conversation right now is happening is just explain to me how this is authentic. And I love that we're opening our eyes to other people's perspectives of what authentic is, but also digging deep and requiring ourselves to consider what is that. 
that's more important even than the act of singing itself is, are you really being truthful and honest? And that will change the world if people can do that. with Yeah, I can't emphasize enough. If you want to take what you're doing, if you're kind of stuck, I think everything that you teach in this class, people need to hear it. They need to hear Uh, it. They need to work on it. So and the price is right, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, like you don't understand, like you are getting so much do it. Like it's a really, I mean, can I say how much it costs? $35. Like, And you're supporting artists that, you know, it goes to the artists. And if you think about it, to have somebody come in and teach private lessons for you, it's like an average price is $150 an hour. And so I don't know how many classes I have total in this series. It might be like a dozen or more. 18. You have 18 different classes. (laughs) I got a little excited. I just kept (laughs) recording. I was like, oh, oh, I got this. I got to share this. So when I say the price is right, you don't understand. And I'm talking from groups. I, I have a group of maybe 10 to 12 guys on average right now and we're going to dig in we're going because my hope is that if I can get them practicing these kind of ideas of performing that whoever we bring in it just elevates your level of where Mm -hmm. you start as a group when you just think about things and approach your music from a performance standpoint even before you've ever sung a note it just changes how every note from that point on is sung we have have to remember why we all love music music moves us inspires us makes us cry makes us feel we get to enjoy that from other singers so then our job as performers is to give that back and like you just said we have to dig deep to find that within ourselves and it can be scary and vulnerable, but then empowering and enlightening and you leave it all on the floor and there's nothing better than doing that. <laughs> and that's why I think once we're on the other side of COVID, I think live music is going to be everywhere. Everyone's going to want it because that's part of what makes us human. Like we love to interact and be moved by others and be collective. And another thing I want to throw out there just for anyone listening right now, I'm going to pose it to some of my singing friends as well. For people like me, who is a dancer, I can go into a dance class anywhere in any city and jump in a class no matter what level I'm at. And we don't have singing classes like that. I feel like when I've, because I love singing too. And so when I've wanted to do it, it's like, oh, you either want to join a group and take it really seriously or pay a lot for a private. I would love to normalize singing where every, like this, I feel like our culture as Americans, we don't do it the way other countries do. No, you and, either have to be really serious about it or you do it at home quietly. Yeah. <laughs> I have another podcast that all we do is talk about how can we get singing together. And it's, it's a podcast about drinking songs. But anyway, can we just normalize this, right? Can we just all sing together? And that's also what is great about acapella because every concert I've been to, there's been a moment where they teach a part of the song and they have people sing along. And it's so fantastic. And that exchange of energy, there's nothing like it. So I just want to normalize singing. I want to have access where people like, even groups of five people can sign up for five classes and like, let's learn this song. Let's learn how to harmonize or like, and not take it too seriously, but just have fun with it and be human singing. I love that that we're going to close out with that challenge because I think it's perfect. And I think as we go into this quote unquote new normal, let's take this opportunity to shake things up a little bit. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us. And I hope you all have a fantabulous Tuesday. (laughs) Was that a right word, Amanda? Is fantabulous a word? I want to make it a word. Let's have a fantastic Tuesday, everyone. We'll see you next Tuesday.